Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. You are now entering the Pseudo-Archaeology Podcast, a show that uncovers what's fact, what's fake, and what's fun in the crazy world of Pseudo-Archaeology. Hello and welcome to the Pseudo-Archaeological Podcast, episode 137, and tonight, of all nights, it's Atlantis, baby! Okay, it's time. Episode 137, I've been doing this since episode 94, something like this, and I have never tackled Atlantis. So why haven't I done this? It's because I swear I fear it a little bit. Why do I fear Atlantis? It's because to trace the story of Atlantis is basically to trace the entirety of pseudoscience and the entirety of pseudoarchaeology. It just gets really big. And I wanted to kind of make my notes narrow enough to make some sort of sense. And since this story is so large, I mean, I'm sure I'll leave out some twist or some turn or some story that you've heard of that I didn't cover. And I am sorry for that. See, I just I'm already saying I'm sorry. It's pathetic. But I do think I'm able here to kind of give you guys the base backstory to this whole thing and make it make some sort of sense. So why am I ultimately tackling it now? Why have I gotten enough spine to do this? You know, it's because life is short, my friends. And why do I think life is short? I had a motorcycle accident like a week ago. And and I'm okay. I survived. I didn't break anything, although I got pretty damn close. And I will say my accident counted, if that makes sense. And if you're wondering what a motorcycle accident is like, violent, go with violent. And that gives you some idea. It's it's fast and furious. So after that, I'm like, you know what? What the hell? Let's do Atlantis. So this show is brought to you by motorcycle accidents around the world. So the idea of Atlantis starts with Plato. And to tell the end of the story at the beginning, Atlantis was made up by Plato. That's it. It's a story made up by Plato. No more, no less. That's the deal. It just happens to be a story that everyone wants to be true really, really badly. So the dates of Plato, he lived from 427 to 348 BC. And Plato was a Greek philosopher, right? And when you think of him, it's fine to just think of 
every single Greek philosopher cliche, right? He's in Athens. Socrates is his teacher. He's sitting there being a great thinker. He's coming up with these kind of what if scenarios all the time, right? He's trying to kind of delve deep and what it means to be a human being and how we think and what we think and all that kind of good stuff. Classic cliche Greek philosopher. I actually was first shown Plato, not not in terms of Atlantis and all this, but in terms of Plato's cave. Now, I was a film major. I was a double major in archaeology and film. And in film class, sometimes we would talk about the philosophy of what the image on screen is. Right. So I was destroyed as were my friends in class by Plato's cave and Plato's cave goes like this. Plato goes, okay, look, what if there were a bunch of prisoners inside a cave and they're all chained inside the cave and all they can see is the back wall of the cave. Like they're chained onto chairs and the chairs are focused on the back wall of the cave. So they can't see out. They can't turn around. They have no idea what's behind them. Every day the sun comes up and the sun shines in and there's stuff behind them that makes shadows. And so their whole world is just a world of shadows. Like they just see these shadows and then they give meaning to the shadows and the shadows are their entire life. Now, Plato says our job is to get beyond that. He's saying that we are as those prisoners to the higher reality, really the things making the shadows right behind the prisoners which they know nothing about. But the only way to get to that is through reason. It's through science. It's through math. It's, of course, through philosophy, right? In order to get to that higher reality and really understand what's truly going on. So that's the allegory of Plato's cave. And why do I tell you this? Because I have to get my own poison out and have to have you guys be destroyed by Plato's cave, too. So the idea, of course, being that, you know, film is as the shadows. What's the reality behind it? It's very much like the movie The Matrix, right? What's uh, we're just a part of this larger world. But for Plato, we can only maybe touch this larger world again through reason, through science, through math, etc. So not only do I tell you that to destroy you and so we can all be together in our destruction, But I also tell you that just to give you a feeling for what Plato's like, these are the kinds of things he talks about. So how does Atlantis fit into this? Right. Atlantis is a story that Plato tells. It comes up in two of his uh, pamphlets. I guess you've got they're called dialogues, right? They're these these times when he talks about certain things, they come up in two. They're called Timaeus and, and Critias. These are two different ones. This doesn't even matter that much. What matters is the story. And realize that as Plato is telling the story of Atlantis, he's trying to get at the nature of the physical world, the nature of us, the nature of reason, the nature of what's right and wrong. He's a philosopher, right? That's what this is. Okay. So, According to Plato, in these two dialogues, he explains Atlantis like this. He goes, "Okay, look, you guys, and think of him as talking to his own students. He goes, look, you guys. What if, let's say, 9000 years ago, otherwise known as long ago, and in a place, well, beyond the pillars of Hercules, 
otherwise known as far away. So already he's setting it up as a story that happened long ago and far away, right? 9,000 years ago, beyond the pillars of Hercules, there was a land called Atlantis. And this land in many ways was the opposite of Athens. So in Plato's times, Athens is like the greatest spot, right? And Plato just talks about basically why is it so great? And in order to talk about why Athens is so great, you need the villain, right? You need the opposite side, which he creates as Atlantis. And he goes, look, there's this island nation of Atlantis. And it was created by Poseidon. He brings in the, the Greek gods into this too. This is a Greek god mythological thing. And out there... It has a ring of three moats, this island nation and these Atlanteans over time, they just fell away from the order that is Athens. They they didn't respect their gods anymore. They didn't respect, you know, kind of rationality anymore. They just they they weren't good anymore. They went down the wrong path and they actually attempted 9000 years ago to destroy Athens, but it ultimately didn't work. And Zeus saw what was going on. And Zeus was completely unhappy and tired of these Atlanteans who did not respect him, did not respect the right way of doing things. So ultimately, Zeus destroys Atlantis and Atlantis sinks under the waves. And then Plato basically goes on and goes, okay, with that setup, let's discuss, right? Let's discuss, okay, what's good about Atlantis? What's good about Athens? Like, what, let's point counterpoint it. But you see, in times since then, instead of us taking Plato's point and discussing what's good and bad about different cultures or philosophies or this kind of thing, everyone goes, wait, 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 wait. Where's that island again? That place sounds awesome. And I can see Plato with the students going like, oh, wait, no, you guys, look, you guys, you guys, look, I just made that up. This is just in order for us to discuss these philosophical ideas. And they're like, no, 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 no. Can you give me like a map or something to that island? Because that like kicks ass. I want to go there. And he's like, ah. so Plato was actually a victim of being too creative with his setup. Right. So right there, we have to realize that Atlantis is an allegory, right? It's a literary device to represent the opposite of, of Athens, right? The opposite of the ideal. And you, again, you need to do that in order to discuss different philosophical points, right? You can't just be like, this side's great. Isn't Athens great? Let's talk about how great Athens is. Of course, the next question is, compared to what? <laughs> it's like, oh, right. Uh, compared to this, uh, this place I just made up compared to Atlantis. OK, Atlantis versus Athens. Discuss. OK, now we have somewhere to go. Right. It's so funny. You know, as I talk about this, I was so I was so worried about dealing with Atlantis. But as of this moment, the setup is completely simple. Right. I don't think anybody listening is like, what? This is crazy. No, it's just basically Plato made up this allegory in order to teach his students and in order to have conversations basically in philosophy class. Right. But the allegory was just too good. And people want the story to be real. 
we have modern allegories and creations all the time. Like Darth Vader is is a very important character and the other characters of Star Wars in my life. Seriously, Star Wars was the very first movie I ever saw when I was five years old. Is Darth Vader real? No, of course not. But should we go try and find evidence of Darth Vader? You know, I heard that they had his cloak in a church. You know what I mean? You see how this happens? When we return, the history of the story of Atlantis after Plato. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Hello and welcome back to the Pseudo-Archaeology Podcast, episode 137. I'm your host, Dr. Andrew Kinkella, and we have been discussing, good God, Atlantis. So with looking at Atlantis, you know, we, we were talking in the previous segment about how Plato himself talked about Atlantis as happening 9,000 years ago beyond the Pillars of Hercules otherwise literally long ago and far away. And it's, again, so similar to the Star Wars intro crawl of a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Right now, even with this story that was basically written in the fourth century B.C., it was so popular that it has lived up until today, and if anything, has expanded, you know? Now, as we all know, after the Greek period of, of which Plato is a part, and then the Romans come in, you have the Dark Ages, right? So all that Greek stuff, all that knowledge, all that science kind of goes away for a while, but we find it again in the Renaissance. Now, the Renaissance has all kinds of great things, like... Uh, you know, this re resurgence, rebirth of science, but you also get a rebirth and a refinding of all this Atlanta's crap. But tracing the sort of rebirth of this is really interesting. And I found for me, this is the hardest part. 
Right. And I think this is the most interesting part. It's like, yeah, OK, Kinkella, we understand that Plato made up Atlantis, you know, in the fourth century B.C. But OK, why is it still around? Give me the history of how does this trace up to the modern day? Why are we still using this? OK, what you find in the time of the Renaissance, you know, we're talking like the 1500s now, right? We're racing way forward in history. In the 1500s, not only do you have the Renaissance, but you have the discovery of America for the Europeans, right? And that discovery of the new world is going to be huge in the thinking of European minds. And so what you get in that time period in 1500s into the 1600s is first books by people like Francis Bacon. He writes a book called The New Atlantis and Thomas More writes a book called Utopia. Now, these just kind of take the Atlantis mythology and wrap them into the philosophy of utopia, sort of this dream, perfect community. And of course, bring America into it. They kind of go, OK, what if this whole America place that we've just found, what if that is Atlantis? Right. Or let's just use America as the Atlantis allegory. You see what I mean? We're going to put something real into this fake story. We're going to use this real new continent. But they're still kind of philosophizing. They're still going on the sort of Plato side of things. I would I would say it's Plato plus America, you know, and not being incredibly focused on. Oh, yes, Atlantis is is right here at this time. And and uh, like that. Right. It's still more in that philosophical mindset, although, you know, I'm sure they're into the whole Atlantis thing. Who isn't? And that is okay whatever it's 1550 and they're doing this fine good luck god bless whatever but it doesn't die there as you've heard in previous podcasts by me there's always somebody who picks this up there's always in doctor who terms a new master who picks up the ring of doom and gloom and becomes the new bad guy right it just never dies after these guys do their sort of utopian community vibe this is picked up then by, I would say, the early guys who trade in Mayanism, right? We've talked about this before. Remember Brasseur de Bourbourg and Augustus Le Plongeon? Remember that from some of the previous podcasts? Those guys. So this is going to click us up into the 1800s, and they're going to use these same ideas of Atlantis, you know, perfect utopian community, but then relate it to the Maya. And it is a bummer for me as a Mayanist to know that there is a serious push by people who worked in the Maya world to push Atlantis forward. I'm like, God damn it. In the late 1800s, as we've already talked about on this podcast, these two guys both add the Maya to it to the Atlantis mythology, right? And they basically say, oh, well, the Maya are part of this whole Atlantis scheme. E either the idea is the Maya were the first culture and then the Atlanteans took the ideas of the Maya and then moved them to Europe or the Atlanteans were the first culture and they gave their ideas both to Europe and to the Maya. Doesn't matter whichever way you go. Of course, it's all fake and silly. Watch this. 
I will defend Bressier de Borborg and Augustus Le Plongeon a little bit. Right. These are guys, again, both working in the late 1800s and and Le Plongeon doesn't even die until 1908. Well, both those guys definitely spent time talking about some real fake crap. Right. Some just pseudoscience nothingness in terms of the Maya and Atlantis, whatever. They did also spend some time doing some real work, right? Whether it was translating some Maya hieroglyphics, rather it was doing real work at Maya sites or taking fantastic photographs when photography was new. These guys did create some real data. Now, while their conclusions were like silly and pointless, I give them half a pass because, again, it's 1880. What do you expect? You know, they're they're just kind of throwing it out there. And of course, both of them sat on the whole Atlantis thing way too long. It was kind of a sad aspect to other things they did that were were worthy. But, you know, uh, it happens. Uh, Just a, a little too new agey. But. Some real work. Now that all changes with the next big one. Right after these guys was Ignatius Donnelly. Remember Ignatius Donnelly? Right. Ignatius Donnelly is like the U.S. senator who just happened to also be into all this crap. Now he didn't do any kind of work, right? He has no archaeological bona fides, right? He adds nothing. It's at Ignatius Donnelly where this story just becomes detached from everything and just becomes kind of new age doctrine, right? We're beyond everything that came before. There's no defending this one. (laughs) And so in 1882, Ignatius Donnelly writes Atlantis, the antediluvian world, right? I think that's that's a big moment here for pseudo-archaeology. He kind of collects all these various writings from these earlier people and just makes one big fat book of bullshit, right? hundred percent. Just take the safeties off and go for it. So this is the, is the real turning point. I think I'm going to vote that one. I'm going to vote Ignatius Donnelly's Atlantis, the Antediluvian world, 1882 as pushing Atlantis into the modern era, otherwise known as it's really in a way it's worst era. So after Ignatius Donnelly, he influences a bunch of other people. Some people who I haven't talked about on this podcast yet, like Helena Blavatsky with her whole theosophic theosophy movement. She wrote a book called The Secret Doctrine, of course. In 1888, after this, James Churchwald, where he adds the idea of the lost continent of Mu to Atlantis. It's like the same Atlantean idea, but in the Pacific. That one is really stupid, but in its pure stupidity, it's also really fun. So, dude, James Churchwald, we're going to do him soon. This story is great, man. But he's doing that in like the 1890s. You go even go onward to Edgar Casey, who's a clairvoyant, right? You a lot of you probably heard the name Edgar Casey, and he's doing stuff into easily into the 20th century. And all of these guys, they're increasingly kind of just new agey. They're pouring in some of that Masonic secretive silliness, right? That sort of new age religion, Rosicrucianism. It all kind of goes into this stew of silliness, where Atlantis is still a major portion taken seriously in this extremely, let's face it, unserious 
unscientific world. And at this point, once you're at the James Churchwalls and the Edgar Casey's, your next step is like Von Dynakin with Chariots of the Gods in the 1960s, right? And then, of course, bringing us today to Graham Hancock. So there you have it, basically. Atlantis and all of these guys believe in Atlantis, sell Atlantis, right? You see how the baton has been passed from Plato, who makes it up, and then you have the Renaissance to like Francis Bacon, Thomas More, who kind of use it still in a philosophical way to talk about utopia and the new world. Then you go, you pass the baton again to the, the Mayanists, Bersir de Bourbourg and Augustus Le Plongeon, who aren't truly archaeologists 100%. It's more Mayanism, right? This sort of new agey ideas. But they still do some good science on the side. And then it becomes just pure BS with Ignatius Donnelly, the a baton to him and the antediluvian world in 1882. And then onward from him to like Blavatsky, James Churchwald, Edgar Casey, all these guys are now adding a bunch of new age religion into this movement. And then finally, Von Dynakin, who I guess you could say adds aliens to it. And then Graham Hancock, who is just the most recent purveyor of the same old story. When we return, I will give you the location of the lost continent of Atlantis. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello and welcome back to the Pseudo-Archaeology Podcast, episode 137. I'm your host, Dr. Andrew Kinkella, and we are wrapping up, thank God, Atlantis. Now, when I last teased you, in the previous segment, I said I would tell you, friends, the location of the lost continent of Atlantis. Are you ready? You ready to write this down? My friends, Atlantis is everywhere and nowhere at the same time. Imagine that. I think we should give Plato a call. Plato is everywhere and nowhere at the same time. Discuss. Of course it is because... Well, I hate to break it to you after all this. It's fake. It's a story. But of course, every crap pseudo documentary on TV, on the History Channel or whatever is going to deal with this. How many dozens of pseudo documentaries deal with this, right? It's all the time. Now, I will say I don't mind a lot of modern like documentaries and series, you know, whether on the Discovery Channel or whatever, they they will touch on Atlantis or talk about it first. They'll talk about the more crazy aspects of it, but then they'll wind down to a modern interpretation or they'll tell you it's just a story or whatever, because people are so interested in the story. Right. So I, I don't mind when they set up that. So just because a documentary talks about Atlantis or something doesn't mean that it's immediately horrible or something, but it's only horrible if they stay with like, Oh, yeah, Atlantis is real. You know, I will say one thing I really don't like 
about modern documentaries, I'm sure I brought this up before, is that they do that awful crap trick where they end with like, well, there's no such thing as Atlantis. Or is there? Oh, God. Like, get a spine and go, there's no such thing as Atlantis. Let's be adults. You know? Have you ever been like, where are all the adults? Like, what happened to the adults? Are we like a nation of children? I mean, we we can't take that. No, seriously, Atlantis is a bedtime story, right? We can't take it. So instead of being adults and just taking that, we've been looking for it, of course, forever. What are some of the main places where people have said Atlantis is? Now, you guys, there are so many. It, it literally is everywhere. Like every island in the Mediterranean, of course, because Greece is in the Mediterranean. So you're going to pick every island. Oh, it's Crete, you know, it, it, whatever. And then onward, you're going to do the Azores because they're off the coast of Europe. You're going to there's islands in the Caribbean, which, again, were just flights of fancy silliness has nothing to do with reality. The ones that tend to creep up the most in no particular order, I'll, I'll give you these. The, the one that you'll hear about a lot is like the island of Santorini. You're, oh, island of Santorini. That's one. Which is an island in the Mediterranean. So, again, the geography is vaguely okay, And there is a true story to the island of Santorini. And this is the Thera eruption in the 16th century B.C. So this is a long time ago, right? This is a volcanic eruption that happened over 3,500 years ago. And this would have even been a long time ago for the Greeks. Okay, when Plato was writing, the Thera eruption was already 1,200 years old. So the Thera eruption is its own Cool. True story, right? It it must have really screwed up trade in the eastern Mediterranean because what this was, Santorini is a just a volcanic island, right? Little volcanic island in the middle of the Mediterranean. And when the the volcano on it, when Thera, like the Thera eruption, the island just basically exploded. If you look online to an image of the island today, it's like it looks like a letter O, right? There's like nothing in the middle. There used to be stuff in the middle. You know, it it literally exploded. Where is Thera today? Outer space. You know, it it just literally. I mean, for anyone living on that island, I don't know. I mean, I guess a handful of people must have survived. But good God, imagine that your island is literally a volcano that that has an extreme explosive eruption. The eruption is so big that, of course, it devastated trade and, you know, networks and that kind of thing in the, in the Eastern Mediterranean. This is something at that time, you know, 16th century BC, that is something that, that people like the Egyptians would have really experienced the, the fallout from that. Right. And some of the other cultures from that time, but Plato writing Atlantis 1200 years later is not necessarily going to even care or know about Santorini. Now, some people really do a deep dive and they go, well, it's the best possibility of all possibilities that that Plato was just kind of using that real happening as kind of a basis. And I used to be okay with that. Like I would tell my students, look, if you want an Atlantis, then just have Santorini. But in my old age, of anger post motorcycle accident 
I'm like, screw it. No. Right. The chances of Plato even thinking of that are basically nil. How many things again? We're in we're in, you know, 2024. How many things from 1200 years ago? How many things from 800 AD influence you on a daily basis? Yeah, I'll I'll say it with you. Nothing. Right. How many how many natural events from 800 AD are are you like, oh, yeah, I'm going to use that as part of my story. No. So the answer is no. Right. Plato didn't use Santorini at all. Come on. He made it up and it's an easy thing to make up. Again, Atlantis totally makes sense when you're using it as a foil against Athens. So, no, I'm tired of the Santorini thing. Like, let's not bring that up anymore. No, it does not relate to Atlantis. Okay, it's a cool story by itself. It's really great in terms of like ancient Near Eastern Mediterranean history. It's super important but not for Atlantis. Okay. Second, another one that comes up a a lot is, I believe you pronounce it the Rishat structure or the Richet structure. I always forget, but people have asked me this. I've even talked about this a little once on one of these shows, but of course they, they, on the show I was on because I care about you people. We talked about that and then went to oh, the realities. There's no such thing as Atlantis. So the Rishat structure, this is a geological formation in the middle of Africa. So right there, you're like Atlantis in the middle of Africa. I know it's moronic, but what's cool about the, the, the Rishat structure is that it's just this circular geological formation. Like if you fly over it. It looks like you'll hear like the the eye of the desert. You know, it's this it's this large, again, circular, concentric ringed like stone outcrop, basically large stone outcrop that's been weathered away. So it really looks like kind of an eye, like this huge geological eye looking at you. But of course, since it has several concentric rings out of it people are like oh yeah it's atlantis it's just like atlantis was structured remember how i said it had several concentric moats around it so just because this geological formation has some circles around it they're like oh must be atlantis that makes no sense whatsoever it is a geological formation i'm not part of big archaeology telling you lies although i want to join big archaeology if any of you if you send me a phone number and email, I, I, I need that because, I mean, they owe me big archaeology owes me a lot of money, like a lot. Anyway, yeah, you'll hear about that one. And of course, if it's an article, it'll start with some crappy clickbait headline like Atlantis in Africa. Uh, No. Yeah, no. Again, where do I even go from that? It's just so lame. I can't even joke about it. I can't be like, you know, there's. There's nothing. It's like pathetic. I think the word pathetic works best. Like, let it go. The last one that you'll hear is the stones of Atlantis. The stones of Atlantis. Where are they? Are they in the are they in the Mediterranean? No, they're in the Bahamas. They're in the Caribbean. I'd study the stones of Atlantis, too, because I could hang out on the Bahamas. You know, you guys, maybe I should say this. The stones of Atlantis are real and I need to go study them right away. And maybe for like a month. If you can pay my expenses, that'd be great. So the stones of Atlantis are these square shaped, again, geological formation that's only in like 20 feet of water or something. It's real. It's real shallow. They look like these square pillows in a row. It's cool. It looks, you know, from first glance, you go, ooh, that's kind of interesting. But it's an 
easily explainable geological formation like that's it. it's a cool geological formation there's nothing human made about it in any any way in any way no it's geological nobody made it the atlanteans didn't make it the modern cultures of the bahamas didn't make it the earth made it yep and that one, again, is just extra stupid. Again, if I if I was in the Bahamas, I'd totally go snorkeling or scuba diving over there just for laughs, just to be like, look at me. I'm at the Stones of Atlantis. And it's a great tourist attraction. You know, that's cool. But the reality of it is moronic, right? Yeah. Plato was talking about some square stones half a world away that was connected in no way to what he was talking about. I mean, what can I do? What can I do, people? And of course, the Stones of Atlantis, the Bahamas one was used by Graham Hancock, our friend Graham Hancock in Ancient Apocalypse, right? He went there and he went scuba diving and stuff. And don't you get his his grift there? He got a free trip to the Bahamas. Good for him. Should I do it too? I think that Graham Hancock and I should both go to the Stones of Atlantis and go scuba diving. And he should show me. He should show me the evidence of Atlanteans. I think, I think, I think he, he needs to do this right. Graham? You need to drop me a line, dude. I'm I'm scuba scuba certified. I'm ready to I'm ready to roll. You need to you need to confront me. You should. <laughs> so it's just I mean, again, the adults. Does anyone can you give me just again a line to an adult that I can talk to? Those are the big three that I hear, but of course there's others always trying to attach an island that sunk under the ocean, you know, to this Atlantean mythology, which is what it is. Now, why has this survived so long? It's because we want it so bad. Don't you? Isn't a world with an Atlantis a more interesting, awesome world? Absolutely. I vote. I am pro Atlantis. You guys, I want there to be an Atlantis because it would be so interesting. Right. But that is the child in me. Okay, the adult who knows facts knows that there is no such thing and is okay with that because I'm used to living in the modern world. It would be the same as if we were on a search for Tatooine. Now, I love Star Wars. I love Tatooine. But I'm not going to search for Tatooine because it's a story. But do look out for me in the next documentary, Tatooine Unveiled Mysteries of the Real World. And with that, I'll see you guys next time. Thanks for listening to the Pseudo Archaeology Podcast. Please like and subscribe wherever you like and subscribe. And if you have questions for me, Dr. Andrew Kinkella, feel free to reach out using the links below or go to my YouTube channel, Kinkella Teaches Archaeology. See you guys next time. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, DigTech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Chris Webster. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.